Um, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like a Bible, we have a whole bunch up the back. Arby, who's got his hand up, he'll get you one. So just put your hand up and Arby will bring a Bible to you. If you don't have a Bible at home that's your own, uh, you can take that Bible home with you for free. Uh, that's our gift to you. It's the best give we, gift we could ever give you. Such a joy to welcome in our new members into our church family. Uh, there's a whole bunch more doing Starting Point and we're having our final one today. And so uh, there'll be more people God willing, uh, joining the family soon. If you're new and visiting with us, we are working our way through 1 Peter. And today we come to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're on the last kind of lap. Peter's said lots in this letter, but he's rounding out his message. And we saw last week that we're called to suffer for the sake of Christ, that we need to expect it, be ready for it. And then immediately flowing from that is this text on leadership. And pastoral leadership. And I believe that that is not just a quick turn and a quick change, but this is intended by Peter and the Holy Spirit. When we are suffering, when we are being persecuted for the sake of Christ, we need leadership to get through it. And so if you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 4, a passage that changed my life and my view of ministry about five years ago, even when I was already at Pastors College. So there you go. There's hope for everyone. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 4. This is the word of God. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. Our God and Father, I ask that you may bless the reading and preaching of your holy word this morning for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. When it comes to your own personal health, I wonder um, what you do about seeing a doctor. Are you the type of person that has a family GP who knows you, knows your history, you see the same person time in, time out, you might even go for that yearly checkup and get your bloods and all those things done and you've got a relationship with your doctor? Or are you the type of person that goes to the medical centre when they're sick and you just want them to write your prescription? Okay, I'm the latter, <laughs> uh, confession there. But there's a radically different level of care involved in the two. The medical centre doctor you often don't have a long-term relationship with, they don't know you, they don't know how to help you even take your medications. There's a long problem in health where patients are really sick, they get prescribed drugs that will help them and they don't actually take them. Um, GPs are there to help you. GPs are there to know you, to spot problems, to be involved in your life. But if you treat them just like, give me my script, that's all I need you for, we radically undercut the level of care and historic practice we can have with them. And so it is with leadership and the church. We can receive leadership from podcasts, from books, um, even just by attending a church and sort of get what we need, we feel. Get a sermon or, you know, get some direction or get some ideas, things that we want for our souls. 
But the biblical picture for ministry is very different to that kind of, you're a service provider, I come to you when I need you, and then otherwise we've got nothing to do with each other. The image that is in this text radically changes how we had to view ourselves as sheep and our leaders as pastors. So although this passage looks like it's actually literally only applicable to one person in the room, me, (laughs) this passage is actually here for the whole church. That's why Peter wrote to the whole church, to all the churches in Turkey, that they would know what their leaders are meant to do, how they're meant to view their leaders, what their leaders are meant to not do, as you'll see in this passage. He's informing us and, and building a worldview and a picture for you and I. And it's my hope that from today, you'll have a biblically informed view and expectation of pastoral leadership. I hope that today will inform how you are to pray for me, your pastor. Inform your expectations you have of me as your pastor. Inform your evaluation of me as your pastor. To know what I'm meant to be doing and then you hold me to that account. And what I'm not meant to be doing and correct me when I fall. I hope that it will inspire some of you to this precious task of pastoral ministry. And I hope that it will equip you. One day, who knows, you may leave this church or I may leave this church. And I want this passage, I want this teaching from Peter and the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, to equip you so that you know what a good pastor is meant to be like and to do and what they're not meant to do so that if you come across other pastors in your life, you can be protected and equipped. I feel very strongly about that. We desperately need this. Repeatedly, we're told in Scripture that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. If you read through the New Testament letters, one of the dominant themes that goes throughout the pastoral epistles, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, is the prevalence of false teachers, people that are there to lead you astray. This was not a first century problem. This is a 21st century problem. And I want to protect you. It's my role. It's my job. It's my privilege. We're going to see today that the chief shepherd sets apart under shepherds to lead and feed his people, his precious flock. And I hope that it will inspire you and inform you in your expectations. We have three points today to unpack this passage, this significant passage. Point one, the pastor's calling. Point two, the pastor's practice. And point three, the pastor's reward. So let's jump into point number one, the pastor's calling. If there's one story that I think informs or dominates Peter's mind as he writes this passage, it's got to be his breakfast with the good shepherd. Do you remember after Peter denied Christ, Christ was crucified, three days later he rose again, appeared to the disciples, but still Peter had this probably this nagging condemnation that hung over him. He had denied his best friend, his Lord and Saviour. He returned to Galilee, as he was told. He and the boys, not knowing what to do, they went out fishing. Spent all night on the lake, caught nothing. 
familiar scene, if you remember, when Peter was first called by Christ, a similar night of all fishing and no catch. Someone calls out from the shore, lay your net on the other side. (laughs) Peter recognises the voice. He jumps out of the boat. He runs to the beach. And there's the resurrected Lord Jesus, ready to have breakfast with them. He's already caught the fish. He's cooking it by the fire. And he's there to serve his disciples a meal. And he takes Peter to the side. And he asks him those three incisive questions, repeated questions. Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I do. And each time Jesus commissions Peter with a task. He says, Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, tend my sheep. Peter, Feed my sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And now he's commissioning Peter as representative of all pastors to come. Your task is to shepherd the flock of God. And so Peter writes to the elders and says in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. The shepherd metaphor is not just one metaphor, although there are many metaphors of leadership in the Bible. It is the dominant metaphor for leadership in the Bible. When we think biblical leadership, we must think shepherding. And what we're going to do in this first point is just trace this line of thinking from the beginning of the Bible to the end to show you and to inform your expectations and your understanding of what pastors are. They are shepherds. There's many great models of leadership that we could look to and still can learn from. Military commanders ordering their troops to achieve the objective and win the mission. That's that's good, that's helpful. Business leaders delivering organized and professional services of highest quality. Gurus to be followed, revered and obeyed because of their superior spirituality and insight. That's another way people view leaders. Or a coach to help you achieve your goals. Or more commonly now, and I would not agree, a therapist. Pastors are therapists to make you feel good. Instead, we're to have one image, dominant image that's in our mind. Pastors are shepherds. Elders are shepherds. Bishops are shepherds. Overseers are shepherds. It's all the same. All the time when the Bible uses these words for leadership, they all refer to the one office. There's not multiple offices. There's one. Overseers, elders, pastors, same thing. And they are to be Shepherds. Why is this? Why shepherds? Well, we're going to see that God himself firstly identifies as the shepherd of his people and then enlists under shepherds to be his leaders while he is in heaven. The dual image of shepherd and under shepherds can be traced from its beginning in Genesis where Jacob, the patriarch, who is himself a shepherd, declares the Lord Yahweh as the God who has been my shepherd 
all my life long to this day. The first time God is referred to in the Bible as the shepherd. It's developed in Moses. What was Moses? A shepherd in Midian. And David. What was David? A shepherd. Uh, David is called the shepherd of God's people, Psalm 78. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. So God is the shepherd and his leaders are to shepherd his people. If you follow Israel's history, though, you'll see that all human shepherds fail. David failed. Moses failed. All the kings, leaders, they failed afterwards. And we get to Ezekiel 34, which is a harrowing passage. And God says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand. Because they were feeding themselves, looking after themselves, and leaving the sheep to the wolves. And so God says, I'm going to get you. (laughs) I'm coming after you. Because Israel is his flock. It's his people. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15, God promises this. I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And even better than this, in Ezekiel 34, verse 15, 16, and 23, even better than new shepherds after God's own heart. Look at this. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. This dual image longs and hangs around in the history of Israel begging for fulfillment. We want God to be our shepherd and we want a a servant of David to come and lead us again. And don't we long for that in our land? Don't we long for leadership, a leader, political leader that we can just love and respect and know that they're not in it for themselves. They're not in it for their faction. They're in it for us. They will lay down their lives for us. And then, in John chapter 14, Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Isn't that incredible? Jesus picking up on that theme of Ezekiel 34. But Jesus isn't here anymore. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father where he still remains the chief shepherd. And then in his mercy and as a gift to the church, he sets apart people like Peter to feed his lambs and tend his sheep. It wasn't just Peter who thought of shepherding as the dominant image. The Apostle Paul said this to the Ephesian elders. Acts chapter 20 verse 28. Pay careful, he's he's speaking to the Ephesian elders on the beach at my leaders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
to care for the church of God, and listen to this, which he obtained with his own blood. The chief shepherd shed his precious blood, 1 Peter 1.18, to buy his sheep, to secure them for himself, and then entrusts them to under-shepherds to watch and care for them while he reigns in heaven. And finally, the Apostle John in Revelation sees a vision of incalculable worth and beauty, a vision of the slain lamb, Jesus, the shepherd of his blood-bought people, Revelation 7, 17. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see this theme throughout all Scripture. And so Peter then, concluding when he speaks to the elders, says, So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Pastors are shepherds. That word there, shepherd the flock of God, is the same word for pastor. That's where we get the word pastor from. So overseers, elders are Shepherds. And this shepherding idea is not just pregnant with practical applications for pastoral ministry. It's also a powerful identity. The way metaphor works is it not just informs us of what we do, but how we are to think and feel about the task. And the shepherd metaphor is here for shepherds and the sheep to understand and understand the identity. We're not talking about business leaders, military commanders, gurus, or therapists. We're talking about shepherds. And to first century Israelites living in Palestine, they knew what a shepherd was like. You've got to picture yourself not on a farm out at Wagga Wagga, but you've got to picture yourself on a Palestinian hillside, rocky, dangerous, cold, no stables, no buildings, just 100 to 150 sheep and one man. There's wolves about. There's danger, there's sickness, there's famine, there's heat, there's the freezing cold at night, there's thieves and there's robbers. And there's one guy. He has to know his sheep, watch his sheep, care for the sheep, birth The baby lambs tend to the ewes, separate the males from the females at times. Each one of them representing huge economic value. That's the image that this conjures up. It's not a position of professionalism or power or prestige or status that it has become. No, it's, it's a lowly, hard, agrarian, boring in a sense, but deeply meaningful image for God's people. And it's the image that you are to have of myself. It's the image I'm to have of myself. You are the flock of God, and I'm a sheep as well, don't you worry. 
And you need a shepherd. So if pastors are shepherds, what are they called to do? We have the identity, we have the expectations, but what's the job description? I'm just going to briefly outline four things that shepherds do. Firstly, shepherds lead the sheep. According to Scripture, pastors are called by God and accountable to God to lead the church. The Bible describes this in various ways, but our text is a great place to go. Elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. That means lead them. You're in charge. You're at the top. You're watching over. We live in a world that is very suspicious and often rightly so of leadership. But we need to baptize that in the Bible. We need leaders. We need good leaders, true leaders. And we need leaders who actually lead, not just give us what we want. It's no good having a GP who just says yes and writes you a prescription and has no idea what effect that will have or what other drugs you're taking and how they'll interact. No, you need a GP that knows you and knows what's going to happen. And maybe some of you have come from situations, horrible situations, where you have been with bad shepherds who have ruled and dominated you. And that Peter addresses later on. But we mustn't back away from the New Testament command for shepherds to lead the people. Secondly, shepherds are called to feed the sheep. Twice Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. And you've got to you got to sense that personal, possessive tone. Peter, feed my sheep. They're not yours, they're mine, but you need to feed them. And what are we to feed the sheep with? Well, the Word of God. That is our food. That is honey. That is what we eat and drink. That is what gives us sustenance is meat and doctrine and truth and scripture. And so pastors are called to preach the word in season and out of season. That's why we take so long to preach sermons. That's why we do Sunday nights. That's why we have a long starting point course. That's why we do what we do. We have men's and women's breakfast because we want to feed the sheep. We are desperate and hungry for more knowledge of God. And my job as a pastor is to feed you, to see you grow up and mature. Paul often rebukes the Christians for their immaturity, that they're still on milk. But no, they need meat. And I don't want us to be a milk-only church, just suckling away. I want us to be chewing and getting deeper and deeper. So my call is to feed the sheep. Thirdly, shepherds. Imagine this, 150 people, 150 little sheep on a hillside in Palestine. Shepherds are called to protect the sheep. We're to protect the church from the many dangers and snares, both externally and internally. We're sheep. We don't have any defense mechanisms. We've got no spikes. We've got... Maybe some teeth that can bite a little bit. Not a whole lot. We're fluffy. <laughs> We're very prone. We're so vulnerable. We need protection from Satan like we sung today. A mighty fortress is our God. This, although this world with devils filled. But we have God as our protector and then he sends under shepherds to protect you. My job is to look out for 
how Satan might be at work in our midst. To look out for false teachers that might come in or false ideas or podcasts or books or things that you've brought with you from outside and even from within. I, my job is to protect you. To protect you as well from your own flesh. Your greatest enemy is not actually Satan. Your greatest enemy lives within you. It's you. Even though we're redeemed by Christ, we still have the old man or woman within us who wages war. That's why every day when you wake up, you don't wake up going, yes, I love Jesus. I'm ready. Send me out, Lord. I'm going to tell everyone I'm going to live perfectly. No, you wake up and you're like, oh, again, do I have to do it? Oh, I should read my Bible. Oh, it doesn't feel very inspiring. Uh, That's because you have flesh in you. And my job is to protect you and warn you against your own flesh and help you see that it's fighting against your soul. And the world itself. Our world is designed um, for self. And it has many charlatans and people out there doing what they want for themselves. And most often, it's tempting you subtly like the frog that is boiling away, but it started in cool water and it slowly gets warmer and warmer until it's completely boiled to death. That's what the world is doing to us. And so we need constant protection from that. And that's why preaching has to cut against what this world says and cut against what we instinctively believe. It's not nice. I'd rather just preach what you want to hear because then you'd say, oh, thank you so much. That's wonderful. And I feel really good. But there's times when I have to say no. We can't do this. No, this is wrong. This is sinful. This is lazy. This is prideful. This is greedy. I'm called to protect the sheep. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And it is such a privilege It is a joy to be your shepherd. It is not a hard task in this. You guys do this so well. But I bring this verse up just to remind you, I'm here to keep watch. I'm not here to do what you want, in a sense. I'm here to watch and to care and to look and to see and to oversee and think, what's going on? How can I help? How can I serve? What do we need? I'm here to protect you, even though I fall short so often. And finally, to balance all of this, leading, feeding, protecting, finally, shepherds are, cared to, are called to care for the sheep. Jesus said, tend my sheep. Tend to them. We're not to domineer, rule over, do it for selfish gain. No, to lay my life down, to care for you. This is how the Apostle Paul envisaged his ministry in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, and that's how I feel, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God as a professional, or here's my job, I preach, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You see the twin thing there, lead and care. Gentle like a mother, affectionately desirous, but strong like a father. 
It's both. It's all in there. And it's my privilege and it's my joy to be set apart by God to give my life away for you and to do this. So pastors are called up into this this glorious of tasks, so unworthy am I. To bear even a similar title to the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd. Friends, we need shepherds. It's a gift far higher than my calling. I don't deserve to do it. You don't need businessmen, military leaders, coaches, gurus, or influencers, or therapists. We're sheep who need shepherds who watch over us as individual sheep and as a flock as a whole, leading, feeding, protecting, and caring. So that's the pastor's calling. That's the job. But what type of shepherd? We've already touched on this to some degree. But what, what type of shepherds does God want his under-shepherds to be? That leads to point two. I said before that it was the pastor's practice. It's, that's, the point is actually point two, the pastor's manner. The pastor's manner, M-A-N-N-E-R. I want to just turn to you for a moment and think, what type of worker are you? Not just what do you do in your job, whether at home or outside the home or both. But how do you go about doing your work? What's your manner? What's your style? Or what was your style if you're retired? That is your ethos, your tone, your temperament. What, what did people receive from you in your behaviour, not just in your output? We say manners maketh the man. Well, I think manner makes all the difference in ministry. Because as we've seen from the rich image of a shepherd tending to sheep, how we shepherd is just as vital as what we do as we're shepherding. Peter outlines three ways in which shepherds, pastors, elders, overseers are meant to behave as they carry out this holy of tasks. Verse 2 and 3. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And then he gives three knots, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. See, Peter, as he speaks to the elders, he wants to command by the authority of the Holy Spirit, not just obedience to the task, but obedience in their emotional life. Not under compulsion, but willingly 
as God would have you. God wants willful, joyful, and happy pastors. Your pastor is meant to be willing and joyful and eager to the task. He's meant to be glad because if he understands the task in which he has, that he gets to be involved and love and set aside to care. Oh, come on. For the, for the sheep that Christ shed his own blood for. What a privilege. Oh, he... He, he died for you. And therefore, you're very precious to him. And therefore, it's my great and glad and willing privilege to be set aside to serve you. Willingly. Not under compulsion, meaning I do it because I need a paycheck. I do it because no one else will. I do it because I need it for my ego. No, no, I do it willingly because I'm called by the chief shepherd to do it. And I'm glad. I'm a happy pastor. You're a beautiful church to serve, and it's my privilege and joy. I know not all pastors have the same privilege of serving people like you, but for me, this is not, by God's grace, a hard task in that respect. Secondly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. That is not doing it for not just monetary shameful gain to get rich, which is so sadly common and wicked and abomination, prevalent not just in our city, not just in America, but across the world, preachers who make a name for themselves for their own financial gain. No, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for public recognition, a platform or self-promotion, but eager to serve because they have been served by the chief shepherd himself. This means energetic service. Giving it our all. That's what shepherds are called to do. No matter the result, gain or cost. Remember, the context of this passage is expect to suffer for the sake of Christ. Peter's not talking about like gaining a hundred million thousand followers on Instagram. He's talking about you stand for Jesus, you might get hit, and therefore you need shepherds at the front to get hit first. That's what he's that's that's the image. And finally, not to domineer, but to be an example to the flock. Now, the disciples got this, and we so often get it wrong, our, position, our idea of leadership. We think about the benefits and not the responsibility. We think about the gain and not the cost. And the disciples were arguing amongst themselves one day, who's going to be at your left or right hand? Who's going to sit with glory and honour and power? Who's going to be the ones that are able to click their fingers and be served and call the servants to themselves and get what they want and be seen and revered and respected? And Jesus said, he calls the boys to him and says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, this is Mark chapter 10, 42, lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. 
but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Why? Well, for even the Son of Man, the Good Shepherd, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Dr. Edmund Clowney in his commentary said this, The elder has authority. He is called to exercise a shepherd's oversight. Christ, the chief shepherd, has called him to exercise a shepherd's care. But the under-shepherd is not a stand-in for the Lord. I don't take his place. I merely seek to represent him. He presents the word of the Lord, not his own decree. He enforces the revealed will of the Lord, not his own wishes. For that reason, any undermining of the authority of Scripture turns church government into spiritual tyranny. If church governors add to or subtract from the Word of God, they make themselves lords over the consciences of others. No, my job is not to domineer you or to call you to fulfill my will. My job is to bring before you this Word and call you to it whether you like it or not, to do it gently and lovingly and caringly, but to call you to this and to bind my life to this word and so live that I'm an example to you. And how far I fall short, I know, but my my desire, my hope, my life is to live like this and, 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 and attempt to show you what this word looks like to be lived out. And so the scriptures repeatedly call upon the people of God to imitate the leaders of God. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Look to those who follow my example. So the, how am I meant to do my job? How are pastors and aspiring pastors in this room? Think of Richard and Joel and perhaps others. How are we meant to behave? Well, not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering, but being an example. And that leads to point three in verse four, the pastor's reward. Yes, I'm going to need that. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Uh, Why does Peter mention this? Well, because pastoral ministry is hard work. It's not a holiday. It's not a fulfillment of my dreams. It's a calling. It's a joyful, beautiful calling, but it's one born with carrying the weight of watching. Potentially for the next 30 to 50 years of my life, I will be called 24-7 to watch, oversee, hold on to, think about, carry in my heart, my people. Being on guard, being on point, being responsible, being accountable to God for your soul, 
have to give an account to God for how I led you. Fighting wolves, carrying hurt sheep, being bitten, being kicked, enjoying the highs, enduring the lows. And Peter mentions this because I think pastors need a horizon. They need to be able to see over the hills to the great day when the chief shepherd will appear and take his sheep back. And the shepherds will all lay down their staffs Never to be a shepherd again, unneeded, give an account. And then in mystery of all mysteries, in an undeserved grace, the chief shepherd will lay upon these unworthy, lowly under shepherds an unfading crown of glory. And how is this possible? That a pastor would be uh, a sinful selfish wretched pastor would be rewarded with a crown only because the chief shepherd himself first wore a crown of thorns born into his skull Blood trickling down his face as he made his way up to a hill called Calvary where his death would save these pastors from their sin and sanctify them so that they can be empowered to the service and work of ordinary pastors. With the job of caring for and tending to the ones whom he bled for on that very cross. Pastors need a horizon when one day they can look forward to giving it all back to the Lord. And I'm sure any crown laid on our heads will be taken back off and given back to him because he's the only one that deserves a crown. God's design for the church, for the flock of God, is that they need pastors. Not just one, but God willing, a plurality of pastors who are watching, caring, tending, leading, feeding, protecting. You need a good family GP. One that will know your history. Help you actually take the medicine that you need. Be able to spot things that you don't spot. Notice change in mood and change in circumstance, spend their life studying so that they have the best possible knowledge to serve you with your health needs. And so it is in the church. You need a shepherd that is looking after your spiritual health. You need the good shepherd, most of all, and under shepherds. So can I ask that you do what you do so well? 
and pray for your pastor. I literally cannot do this task. It's too hard. Pray for me, please. Dangers abound in my role. As Peter has said, the necessity of compulsion and a paycheck, selfish gain, doing it for me, not you, domineering to be authorities over you. They're real dangers in my soul. Pray against them, please. Please pray for future pastors of our church that God would raise up shepherds. We need more shepherds in our land who plant churches and care for lost sheep. Evaluate me according to this and hold me to this standard. Don't let me, don't let me veer from this. Serve me in that way. And, and keep doing what you do. Keep being the beautiful, amazing flock of God that you are. That is my privilege to serve. And as much as you need pastors, more than that, you need the chief shepherd. And I want to commend you to him. Entrust yourself first and foremost to him. Place all your hope in him. Love him and let him lead you. And then, and only then, lean into those under shepherds he has put in his place for now. Let me pray. Oh Lord, I thank you for the privilege it is to shepherd this flock as your under shepherd. I do not stand in place of the great shepherd, but merely seek to best represent him as I can and be his ambassador, be a physical expression of his divine love, your divine love for this people, oh Lord. I pray you would help me to shepherd this flock well, to exercise oversight, to not do it under compulsion, but willingly, to not do it for shameful gain, but eagerly, to not domineer, but to be an example. Lord, you raise up future pastors in this church with this calling, with this idea, with this charge. Lord, protect us, lead us, and guide us. And how can we thank you enough that you sent us your son, the great chief shepherd, to die in our place and for our sins, to lead us all the way home. And we look forward to the day when all of us have him as our great shepherd. Oh God, help us to trust in him all the more, to lean into him all the more, and to be led by him all the more. In Jesus' name, amen.